This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 28, and we are recording on Monday, May 9th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. We are recording a day early because we're about to go to Chicago for Book Expo America tomorrow. It's, <laughs> it's the first time BEA has been out of New York in like five years. So I've I'm never been kind to of Chicago. excited. Yeah, me too. It's smaller. It seems like there are less um, like publishers going, which mm-hmm. is good, I think. Because, like, you know, when it's in New York and you walk into Javit, it's, it's this giant, huge show floor and it's so overwhelming. And I think a smaller show will be a nice change. Well, I actually think there might be more booksellers and librarians there because oh, yes. it's so They're hard cool. to get, like, it's really expensive to go to New York if you're not there, you know, full time. So right. I, I feel like there will be different people there and I'm looking forward to it. But anyway, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of conventions. Hey, segue. Nice well done, well done. <laughs> Let's talk about Book Riot Live! So it is now May 9th, right? And you should get your tickets if you don't have them already, because if you buy them before June 1st, you get all kinds of extras, including uh, there's $40 off of the weekend pass, so that's only $129, which is a really good deal. You can get a discount on single-day passes also, you get a free water bottle, and you get early access to RSVP, because there will be some limited seating, like must RSVP and advanced programming at Book Riot Live, but if you sign up before June 1st, you get first crack at those. So there's all kinds of good reasons to buy your ticket now, plus then you'll have your ticket and you'll be like set to go for November 12th and 13th, which is when Book Riot Live is. Um, And there's also just a few tickets left for the Saturday Night Mingle at the Stransbury Book Room, which is hella fun. We have guest speakers and Book Riot staff and drinks and you're in the rare book room, which is gorgeous. So pretty. Oh my God, full of books. So like if you're one of those people who doesn't like to talk to other people at parties, you can Mm. look at the books instead. It's amazing. I kept doing that. I'm really bad with like like famous people I never know what to say and Margaret Atwood showed up oh my god that's true which, which was so amazing yes um, last year she came to the after party and so I turned around and like there was Margaret Atwood and I couldn't think of anything <laughs> to say so I just like wandered away and looked at rare copies of like A Wrinkle in Time just to not have to talk to Margaret Atwood because I was mortified but you anyway. were in the same room as her which is I awesome was. it was it was like a religious experience <laughs> I'm in the rare book room and there's Margaret Atwood and ah yep so anyway all of <laughs> these details and more are at bookriotlive.com where you should go and check out the information and then get your ticket and that's my spiel mm-hmm. all right so if you are new to this show this is a write-in recommendation show so if you have a book recommendation request for yourself for your book club for a gift you want to give to someone someone in your life who can't figure out what they want to read whatever you can email it to us at getbooked at bookriot.com or you can drop it in the form at the bottom of the show notes on every show on the website on bookriot obviously um you can send them to me on twitter jen is off twitter for me but you can send them to me um at i'm amanda nelson and i will uh forward them to myself so i don't forget and if it is time sensitive if your question is like i'm going out of town in two weeks and i need a book to take with me asap please note that in the subject line of your email or in the top somewhere of the body of your uh, question if you put it in the, the form at the bottom of the post so that we see those and can answer them hopefully you know before you go do the thing that you need to go do all right let's get started let's do it okay <laughs> question one is from Ree conley uh she says thanks for your oh wait that's never mind okay okay here's the question <laughs> sorry here's the actual question it's monday p.s mm. uh the question is i would love any recommendations for books that feature artificial intelligence or technology in a fu- futuristic setting i adored humans the tv show and am in the process of reading speak by louisa hall so we have recommendations before that we're going to do our first sponsor it me okay i'm going to talk about our first sponsor it is the square root of summer by Harriet Reuter Hapgood. And this is a debut YA novel that's all sciencey and mathy, which I really like. Um, it's been described as a time traveler's wife for a new generation, which I think sounds really intriguing. It's set in a charming little seaside town in the UK. 
Um, so the seaside thing makes it a nice uh, summer read. It follows a 17-year-old girl named Gotti who is motherless, and she starts losing time, like literally the fabric of time in the universe and like the space-time continuum that, that surrounds her seaside town begins to fray. She starts falling through all these wormholes into her past to last summer when her grandfather died um, to the day that she fell in love to the day that her childhood best friend Thomas moved and left her behind, which, of course, made her very sad. Um, and so she's bouncing back and forth through time. But Gotti is also a science and math kind of genius. And so she's using those skills to figure out what's happening to, you know, the rips in the fabric of time around her and to figure out what she can do to fix it. So um, it is a romance. It's also got time travel and quantum physics for those of you who like your romance stories, your YA romance with a, a little bit of braininess, which I always appreciate. Um, so yeah, so check out, I've already forgotten the title. No, I haven't. The Square Root of Summer. Um, and let's see, where, is it? where does it come out? Oh, it's already out. So you can go get that now. The Square Root of Summer by Harriet Reuter Hapgood. Go to read. Thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. All right. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. All right. Uh, okay. So my first pick for Re is All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders, which is a book that came out earlier this year and I'm super into. Uh, it's about two friends, Patricia and Lawrence, who meet in high school when they are both super sort of on the fringe. Neither one of them is popular or even, like, just normal. Like, they're weird yeah. in different ways. Lawrence is, like, a math programming technology whiz. And Patricia thinks she might be a witch because some birds told her that one time. Uh, and, like, their lives are not great. And so they kind of band together through their weirdness. And then a, a terrible thing happens that forces them to kind of separate and not be friends anymore. And then they meet up again as grown-ups um, in, like, a slight near-future kind of situation. Um, it's San Francisco, but it's not our San Francisco. Like, the planet is kind of falling apart, and the economy is weird, and, you know, now Lawrence is an engineering genius who's working with this group and has created an artificial intelligence thing that everybody's using. Um, and Patricia is actually a witch. She's, like, a full-blown witch trying to, like, save the world through witchcraft, like you do. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> And uh, they find themselves on kind of opposite sides of groups that are both trying to fix the world. And things get really intense. There's these amazing action sequences. Um, I really love how there's both technology and magic in this book. Um, and the ending is not anything that I was expecting. The whole book, there's this sort of prophecy that, like one of them will destroy the world and you're waiting the whole time to figure out like if it's actually going to happen and how it's going to pan out and it's a really big premise but the author really pulls it off so that is all the birds in the sky by charlie jane anders okay my first pick is a book that i'm in the middle of right now it's insulary justice by yes. Anne lucky yes 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 <laughs> i love I'm loving it so much. so much it's so good and weird it's just the weirdest um Okay, so this won so many awards. It won Hugo, it won the Nebula, the Locus Award, the Arthur C. Clarke Award, all of the big science fiction uh, awards it won for Best Novel. So the um, the protagonist and narrator of this book is a person-ish named Breck, um, but her name used to be Justice of Torin because she used to be a starship. So she is now a human, or a, at least uh, walking around in a human body, and has been for about 20 years. She's actually, a, you know, an artificial intelligence consciousness. And she lived in, not just in this giant starship that she was, but also in the ancillary units of the military who lived on the starship. So she would embody the consciousness of other people and then kind of take them over and then use them um, for the government's uh, purposes. Um, and so she serves this empire called the Rock, uh, R-A-D-C-H. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but a lot of the words in this book are like, the pronunciation confuses me. But anyway, um, so she serves this empire that is annexing, they call it annexing in the book, which I love. It's such a great euphemism. Annexing uh, different planets to expand their empire, which is, of course, code for conquering. Um, and so she has no, like, moral opinions because she's a work of artificial intelligence. But then something happens. Um, but I'm not going to tell you, but there's a big event that happens and there's all this betrayal and, and stuff falls apart. Um, and then she's she leaves the starship that she's occupied and goes down into the single human being. Uh, to 
get vengeance and get answers and all of this stuff. So it's told from the perspective of an artificial intelligence who is learning how to be human and has been learning how to do it for almost two decades. Um, oh, and uh, I forgot to mention, like, one of the most interesting things in this book is that in the society that she comes from, there's no real concept of gender. Um, so everyone in the book is referred to as a she, whether or not they are male or female. And some of the uh, Breck's most interesting interactions with other characters are when she's trying to figure out how to address them in their language because her she was, you know, wired to have no concept of the differences between male, female, and like the, how different cultures handle how you address a man or a woman and all this stuff. So it's, it's like complicated and weird and cool and an interesting thought experiment. So Ancillary Justice by Anne Lucky. Yes, all of the cosine. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, first in a trilogy, right? So there's two more. Yeah, yeah, there's two more. They're all great. Um, okay, so my second pick is The Girl on the Road by Monica Byrne, which doesn't have artificial intelligence, but it had some of the coolest future tech I've seen in a book in a while. Um, I, f- I find so often that, like... Science fiction is a little vague on the specifics of the technology, like there's spaceships and like blaster guns, but you don't ever really like know how anything works. Um, and the technology isn't super applicable to daily life, but this book has like some really sort of close up views of technology that currently doesn't exist, and I thought it was so cool. So, okay, the story is uh, there's a young woman named Mina who is living in Mumbai, and she wakes up with a bunch of snake bites on her chest, and she kind of doesn't know how or why it happened. Um, and she decides that she's going to flee India and go back to Ethiopia, which is where she was born. Um, and the way she's going to get there is that there is this thing called the Trail, which is an energy harvesting bridge that spans the whole Arabian Sea. Um, and you're not supposed to walk on it. Like it's a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a power generator. Like it's, it's a power plant basically on the ocean. Um, but people do. She's heard stories that, you know, this is possible that you can walk across it. Um, and she's going to try it, uh, because she feels like this is, this is a thing that she needs to do to figure out like what has happened to her, um, and what, you know, why these things are happening to her, things she doesn't really understand. Um, and so she is going to cross the trail and like go back to her birthplace and figure that stuff out. And in the meantime, there's this parallel narrative that you gather is slightly in the past um and it's a woman named mariana excuse me mariama and uh terrible things have happened to her like trigger warning she witnesses her mother's rape um and she gets in with this caravan of strangers heading across the sahara desert um and uh, she's very young and there's this woman who kind of becomes her protector and she is hearing all these stories about Ethiopia where, you know, there's a revolution and she's thinking life will be better. And and so you've got these two women both on journeys to the same places. And as the book goes along, you find out how they're connected and like all of these other things come to light that I was not ready for. Like there was this one reveal that I was like, <gasps> like <laughs> literally gasping into the book. Um, and the technology is really fascinating and the 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 world building is so good like it's a really interesting future view of it of two areas of the world that you don't like i don't always see a lot of in science fiction so that is the girl in the road by monica byrne okay i went way back to a classic for this one for my second one and it's i robot by isaac asimov which has little to nothing to do with the will smith movie (laughs) (laughs) although you know whatever the will smith movie is not what it's fine it's fine it's if you've seen the movie, it is not. But don't judge. Inspired the book by is more accurate sure. than like adaptation. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, although I do use that, I don't speak BS or whatever he says. And oh, that, yeah. that gif. I use that gift with frequency. So, um, iRobot was first published in the '50s, I think, in 1950. It's by Isaac Asimov, obviously, and it's a collection of like linked short stories that follow the rise of and formation of and development of robots and artificial intelligence. So some of the stories take place like in present day with people developing artificial intelligence and then they move forward into the future to where like humanity is obsolete because robots, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And artificial intelligence, there are robots who have kind of gone mad and that can read minds, they're politicians and um, some that kind of run the world without humanity's knowledge and this kind of thing. And if you're familiar or if you've ever heard of the three laws of robotics, uh, a robot can't harm a person, has to obey orders that don't contradict with the first rule and must protect itself, um, then that's what this is from. So that's kind of, those are like foundational rules that are used in a lot of science fiction and they come from Isaac Asimov and iRobot. Um, and it's a, as just, I mean, in, 
and aside from just being like a classic of the genre, and if you want to be um, kind of read up on the foundational works of science fiction, um, you know, read it. But it, aside from that, it's just a really great page turnery, thought provoking book that I enjoyed a lot. So uh, yeah, I wrote about by Isaac Asimov. Read some classics, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question two. Um, this is from Nate. And Nate says, my boyfriend does not enjoy reading. I have tried several books to hook him, but all have failed with the exception of The Martian. Uh, when I asked him what was different, he said that the plot drew him in quickly. It centered around action and science. And it was funny with the last one being the most important. Do you have any recommendations for other humorous books in a style similar to Andy Weir's? And he's listed some books here that uh, his boyfriend did not enjoy, including Christopher Moore, Never Let Me Go. Well, that one's not funny. Uh, the Magicians, etc. So, um, yeah, thanks for your help. And funny, go. Okay. Go, Jen. <laughs> Nate also mentioned that the boyfriend in question listens to a lot of gay romantic fiction on Audible, oh, yes. so that a gay tie-in would be good, um, and that he likes dystopia. So that, hence my first pick. Like, this is important. So, um... <laughs> Or relevant, rather. So my first pick is Chaos Station, which is the first book in the Chaos Station series by Jen Burke and Kelly Jensen. Not the book Riot Kelly Jensen, a different Kelly Jensen. I was wondering about that. Like, when what? I picked it up, I was like, wait a minute, is there a thing I don't know about Kelly? But no, it's a different Kelly Jensen. Um, and it's about a man named Felix Ingeson, who, so it's like, takes place in this future where, you know, there's space stations and spaceships, and there was a big war uh, with aliens, but now the war is over, um, and Felix is a veteran and was a POW. Um, he was held captive by the aliens for a long time, and he's, like, super damaged and has all this PTSD, and he's just trying to live a life. Like, he's got a ship, and he's trying to make his small business in space work, you know, like you do. Um, and then they get hired to do this job, and the person who hires them turns out to be his ex-lover, uh, who is this, like broken, retired, super damaged super soldier who thought that Felix was dead. And so the first time he Xander walks on board and sees Felix, he thinks he's seeing a ghost because he's like so messed up in the head that he like is he's like, yes, I'm hallucinating. Clearly that's real rather than that. Like this person who I thought was dead has actually survived. So the plot of the story is both their relationship, like trying to figure out like, can they still have a relationship? Like what happened to them? Um, do they have a future together? And also in the meantime, Xander has seen footage of another soldier that was in their unit who has like gone crazy and he's trying to track her down and find her and maybe save her from herself or certainly save the rest of the world from her um, because she's gone nuts and she's a super soldier so it's super dangerous and I just really enjoyed it I read it on a flight and it was a great distraction um, it does move pretty quick it's got a lot of great scenes there's good plot um, I just thought it was really enjoyable and it I like it's it's not funny it's not humorous per se but it does have a lot of the other requirements that in the question so that is chaos station by Jen Burke and Kelly Jensen okay my first pick for you is the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy by Douglas Adams because it's the funniest book that I've ever read in my yes. life it's so absurd and ridiculous and just his mind is such a was such a weird place um so the book opens a few moments before earth is about to be destroyed to make way for a uh, intergalactic highway and the main character Arthur Dent is kind of rescued and taken off the planet by Ford Prefect his friend Ford who um, is traveling in space and is researching a new and revised edition of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and so they start going on a journey through space with some kind of odd secondary characters uh, Zaphod Beeblebrox who is a two-headed and three-armed character <laughs> and um, president of the galaxy also and his girlfriend Trillian there's Marvin, the robot, who is my favorite character and is kind of an Eeyore, like Winnie the Pooh character, but a robot. So like this really depressive genius robot um, and some other weird characters that join them on their strange adventures. And it really is just a bunch of weirdos traveling through space doing s strange stuff. Um, and 
it's not necessarily the things that are happening in the book that are funny so much as Douglas Adams' sentences and yes. like the way that he describes things are just like in the I remember reading the opening like the first page when he's talking about how the earth is about to be destroyed there's like a very small paragraph about the history of the planet and he describes organized religion in like one sentence that just nails it in such a funny and ridiculous way and it, you know you sit there like laughing out loud but also thinking you're right people are completely absurd um but it's hilarious. And like, I feel like an audiobook version of this would be so good. And you would just laugh, cry. Maybe don't listen to it in the car. Because then you'll, you'll laugh so hard that you'll cry and then you'll crash. And that would be bad. I don't want that on my conscience. So The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy <laughs> by Douglas Adams. Don't kill yourself while listening to books that I've recommended. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good baseline request. <laughs> um, okay, so my second pick is Old Man's War by John Scalzi, which is also the first in a series. So if he likes it, there is more. Um... John Scalzi's great. He is sort of a big name in science fiction for good reasons. And I do think he's very, like, dryly funny. Um, It's not quite as, like, absurdist laugh out loud as Douglas Adams because nobody is as funny as Douglas (laughs) Adams. But I do think he's very entertaining. Um, And Old Man's War is the story of a senior citizen named John Perry who is turned 75 and he visits his wife's grave and then he joins the army. Because in this, you know, universe... uh, when you are you the the army has figured out a way to repurpose senior citizens as soldiers um you basically get a whole new body uh and like they take the brains of the the senior citizens and put them in you know young fresh bodies um and now they have an army corps of people who are like not you know 18 and have no life experience like these are people who have lived lives and like kind of don't care if they die because they were going to die anyway but now they have like another chance at life so it's a whole new world for them um and they are fighting in a big war with aliens of course like you do um Mm. and (laughs) And and it's really interesting to watch like this, you know, because the characters are all like so different from what you're expecting from a war novel because they are senior citizens. So they're like, but then they're in these new bodies. And so they're having all this fun with them. And then on top of it, you know, there's the battles and the action sequences. And the whole thing is just really great. Um, And the world that Scalzi has built is really interesting and entertaining as well. So that is Old Man's War by John Scalzi, which is the first in a pretty, there's like six or seven books in the series now. So there's a bunch. Okay, my second pick for you, I just picked the two funniest books that I've ever read, and that's that's what I'm going with. My second one is High Fidelity by Nick Hornby. Also, I'm, like, nailing the adaptations this episode. High Fidelity is a great movie. Um, anyway, that does very closely follow the book. So the book is about a guy named Rob, who is a music junkie snob guy who owns a semi-functional record store that's, you know, as most record stores were doing in the like late 90s going out of business. His girlfriend, Laura, has just dumped him and is now seeing the guy upstairs who is not uh, a good music listener. Listens to bad music, I guess, would be a better way of putting that. Um, and so Rob is kind of recovering from that breakup. He hangs out with the offbeat, wonky clerks who work at his store, and they spend all of their time judging their customers and other people. Um, he tries to go out and date more, but he can't really seem to find anyone to kind of fill that hole. Um, And he starts thinking about his um, old relationships uh, that he, you know, women that he was dating before he was with Laura and what happened to make those work or not work. And he's doing all of this through the point of view uh, or through the lens of pop music. And so Rob is such an, he's such an interesting character because he's hilarious, but he's also, man, I can't say this on this podcast because it's, he's a, um, an F boy is what I would refer to him as now. <laughs> right? Like, he's such a. Ugh. I actually rewatched the movie recently and I had a really hard time with it because it, he's so. He's not a good person. No, like, he's a two women. Like, he specifically, exactly. like, he's kind of actually very terrible. Yes. Yeah. He's um, not someone you'd want to date, basically. No, no you should um, not date him, in fact. In real life, don't date the owner of the no. semi-failing record store. But he's hilarious. And the things that he says, even though I like fundamentally disagree with everything that he thinks about life, the universe, and everything, is is hilarious. Because Nick Hornby is a great humorous um, writer. And putting a snobby music guy as the protagonist of a novel um, where he's just trying to figure out what's wrong with his life. It's just so good. It's like very satisfying in this, I don't know, Schadenfreude kind of way. Um, But all of the side characters are great. Um, His 
quips and like one-liners and insights into his own mind are hilarious. And it's also laugh out loud funny. It's funny, I think, in a lot of the same ways that The Martian is funny, where it's just like one guy in his own head because there's no one else around to really talk to um, because his girlfriend just left, not because he's stranded on a planet, but, you know, some kind of similar thing. Um, One funny, smart guy in his own head trying to figure out a thing. And it just isn't a space thing. It's a life thing. So I liked it a lot, despite the fact that the main character is awful in so many ways. So that's High Fidelity by Nick Hornby. Man, he's the worst. <laughs> I did like the, the all the like top five lists in the book are super fun as well. Yes. Um, yeah. Anyway. Jack Black's character in the movie and the book is my favorite. Mm-hmm. I still walk around saying like, Where's my Cosby sweater? <laughs> like a ridiculous human being. Anyway, moving on. All right, question, question three. three. <laughs> this question is from Jenea Selassie. Uh, I just finished the Americana audiobook by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. I miss the characters and the wide array of personalities the narrator was able to bring to life. Any recommendation for books that could give me a similar feeling? Uh, okay, I'll keep going. Um, my first pick for you is The Tusk That Did the Damage by Tanya James, which is so good. Um, came out last year, and it is set in South India uh, near a nature reserve. And it follows a bunch of different characters, one of which is actually an elephant, which sounds gimmicky, <laughs> but is not, I swear. Um, so the, the elephant was orphaned by poachers uh, when it was a baby and has since had kind of a terrible life um, and has broken free and is terrorizing the local villagers and the countryside and the authorities and everybody's like mad elephant on the loose. Um, and around this sort of situation, there are a bunch of different characters, um, one of whom is the son of a farmer um, whose cousin was killed by the rampaging elephant. Um, One of them is an American working on a documentary who is, you know, trying to do a conservation piece and finds herself in, like, a weird gray area because she's having an affair with the vet who the film is about. Um, And then there are just a bunch of different sort of people's lives spiraling around this one situation with this terrible elephant and you actually get the elephant's point of view as well so it's dark um it's really sad in certain moments but it's also sort of like darkly humorous um in certain moments and um and like she's such an amazing writer like you really get a glimpse into the different lives and mindsets of the different characters and it's just so well done they're all really complex and interesting um, and it goes places you just are not expecting like as I read this book I was it was just it held me enthralled because there were so many twists and turns that I just didn't see coming uh, so that is The Tusk That Did the Damage by Tanya James Okay, my first pick for you is The Interestings by Meg Wallitzer, which I gave me a, a lot of um, similar feels, I guess, as Americana, because it's, uh, I don't remember her name, the main character in, in Americana. Do you remember her name? I don't, oh, gosh, like, I don't. I know, it's just like. I don't like, remember any character's name almost as soon as I finished the book. <laughs> I am so, yeah, me too. I'm really bad about character names. Anyway, the main character in Americana um, is in a like kind of collegiate university setting throughout the book um, as she, you know, she comes to America and then she goes, anyway, I'm not going to summarize Americana for you because you obviously already read it. Um, But she's in a a university setting. It's a lot about intellectualism and creativity and thinking about that kind of stuff. And so anyway, so that led me to the interestings, which follows six teenagers who are at a summer camp in, I think the seventies, a summer camp for art artistic, creative kids, and they become friends, they, they bond together, they call themselves the interestings in that horribly obnoxious way that teenagers think that they're, like, the most special thing ever. Um, they, they're saying it with irony, except not even a little bit, they totally mean it. Um, and so the book follows them as they age, up through, you know, adulthood and middle age, have their own kids, that kind of thing, and some of them take their creativity and become wildly successful in, like, a, one of the characters is a cartoonist who ends up as this, like, I don't remember his name, the CEO of Pixar kind of figure who, you know, animates all these uh, really successful movies, him and his wife um, get a lot of money, obviously. And they're fr- some of their friends who are actors and actresses at summer camp never make it in that profession and have to kind of give up their creative pursuits and take on more um, everyday sort of jobs. But all of them remain friends. And so they're traveling through life together, dealing with resentments, Um, both underneath the surface and not so much, um, and thinking about how a creative life, that the way that you express yourself creatively at 15 is not necessarily a thing that's going to sustain you 
or create a living for you when you are an adult and have your own children. So it's really, really thought provoking. And all the characters in the same way that the characters in Americana are a lot of them are dealing with similar things, but they're all really different people. And uh, Adichie is so good at bringing those people to life. Well, uh, Meg Waltzer is doing a really similar thing here. The characters are all dealing with kind of the same questions and struggling with the same sort of stuff, but um, in completely different ways. So, yeah, and I really, really loved it. And if you at all ever, like, attended any sort of gifted, any, like, school when you were a kid or anything like that, um, you'll relate a lot to a lot of the things in this book because, man, smart kids can be just the worst, the most annoying. So that's The Interestings by Meg Waltzer. It is, in fact, interesting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I am so sorry <laughs> to everyone for what I just did. <laughs> Bless. Okay. Um, my second pick, I, when I was thinking about this question, I was just trying to pick, like, the the books that I've loved the most that have all of the different narrators, like, that mm. follow different people. I have lost my words. Okay. So, <laughs> anyway, my second pick is The Secret History of Las Vegas, which is a novel by Chris Abani that I love. Um, it is actually a murder mystery, so not like a college think piece, but you know, whatever. Um, lots of really great characters. And so the main character is this detective, uh, Salazar, who is trying to track down um, the killer from a recent spate of murders. And in the course of his investigation, he stumbles across a pair of conjoined twins who also have a container of blood near their car. So, Mm. you know, a little suspicious. (laughs) Um, So he takes them in. He's convinced they're the killers, but they are not speaking to him. Like, he cannot get them to talk. Uh, So he hires a, a... a specialist in psychopaths uh, named Dr. Sunil Singh, who is from South Africa originally and, uh, you know, is in Nevada doing research at a local university or lab. I can't remember which one it is. And um, so Sunil starts to visit the twins and is trying to, like, get them to talk to him and, you know, trying to prove whether or not they did these murders. And they're, they're like, they're very weird and mysterious. Um, and the story kind of spirals out from this one situation and you get all of these, like, really interesting side stories. So, for example, Singh, who is from South Africa, you start to find out why he came to America, what dark secrets are in his past. Um, You start to find more about Salazar, and you start to find more about the twins, who, as you might suspect, have been part of a circus act, Um, but it's not like your average circus act kind of situation. So there's, and then there's an assassin, and there's this murder mystery happening, and there's all of these crazy threads, Um, and all of the characters are so well drawn. None of them are particularly good, but none of them Mm -hmm. are particularly quote-unquote evil either. Like, they're making very bad choices, but you understand kind of how they have come to make those choices, even if you don't agree with them. And it's an amazing story. Like, you just get so sucked into the story itself. So that is uh, The Secret History of Las Vegas by Chris Abani. And he's an amazing writer. Just, like, for the record, you should read everything he's ever written. He's incredible. (laughs) I really love his books. (laughs) Okay, my second pick for you is Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, which was my favorite book of 2014 when it first came out. Um, so it follows a fa- the Lee family. It starts in Ohio, small town Ohio in 1970, and their child, Lydia, who is a teenager, is dead. Uh, they don't know that yet. You know it because it's the first, uh, not, I don't know if it's the first sentence, but it's in the first on the first page you find out that she's dead. Um, the family only know that she's gone missing. There's the mother, the father, a, a boy, uh, a brother, and one other sister. So this family has woken up and realized that she's gone. Lydia is a star student and a really good kid and has never caused any trouble. And so the fact that she's just gone is kind of throwing them into chaos. Um, so that's the catalyst behind you getting into the life of this family. Um, Marilyn is white. James Lee, the father, is Chinese-American. And so... They're in, you know, in 1970s in Ohio, there's a lot of race issues that they're dealing with um, and that their children, therefore, have to deal with and grow up with. Marilyn is also a really interesting character, the mother. She gave up um, a a really successful academic career. She was going to, I think, be a doctor, if I remember right. She was going to go on, anyway, to be a professional. But she gave all that up to get married, to marry James. Um, And so she's put all of her dreams and hopes that she herself couldn't fulfill onto her child, onto Lydia, who is now the one that has gone missing and is dead. So it's both a mystery because you're trying to, you're reading along to find out what happened to the girl. You know she's dead, but you don't know how she got there. 
or how she died or the circumstances that surrounded it all. Um, but it's also more about kind of the secrets that we keep from the people who are closest to us, uh, hence the title, Everything I Never Told You. Um, and there's a lot of stuff to think about here about race and gender, which is also, you know, two big themes in Americana. Um, and each character, you get the point of view of each member of the family. So if you the thing if the thing you liked about Americana was all the different um, characters' points of view, then that's the thing that you will like about everything I never told you. The the brothers' storyline I think is especially interesting, um, and the mother. Those are my two not favorites because it's kind of like a dark and sad book, but the two that I found most compelling. So everything I never told you by Celeste Ng. Love that book so much. <laughs> nice. All right. Question four. Uh, this is from Roberta. I need a book for my mom. She's Brazilian, and English is her second language, and she still struggles a bit with it. Uh, she wants to read and is always looking and asking for recommendations, but rarely finishes a book and gets bored easily. I've tried romance, contemporary YA, middle grade, and an audiobook, but she got frustrated with the narrator's voice and quit. Since she keeps searching, though, I feel like she just hasn't found the right book for her yet. She loves true stories, survival stories, and tearjerkers based on the movies that she loves. So that is from Roberta. You go ahead and go. I've been talking for okay. a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, my first pick is Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson, which is a National Book Award winner and is amazing. And you might have heard of it. Um, it's a really, really incredible book. But it is a memoir told in verse. So she is, Jacqueline Woodson is sharing uh, stories about her childhood. Um, she was raised in South Carolina and New York in the 1960s and 70s. And so she is talking about, you know, the left over stuff with Jim Crow and the civil rights movement and, you know, being a girl and trying to find her place in her family as well as in the world. Um, and it's really beautiful and moving. And it and because it's in verse, um, it's, I mean, there's just literally less words on the page, but also it has a really, I think, nice rhythm to it. And it's not like, you know, poetry in the sense of like just full of metaphors and it's about the moon and you're trying to figure out what the poet is talking about like no this is very like straightforward beautifully told story of a childhood um and so I think that you know the subject matter sounds like it would be a good fit and the the reading I mean it's technically I think a middle grade book it's for younger kids but it's dealing with <clears throat> issues that are compelling to adults as well as to children so it feels like a it might be a good option so that is Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson Um I also picked a uh, kind of middle grade-ish YA thing for my first uh, pick. And it's the Agency series by Y.S. Lee, which is a series of four mystery novels set in Victorian London. And the first one is called A Spy in the House. Um, I love this series so much. They're so much fun. They follow a girl named Mary, who is a pickpocket and an orphan um, and a thief, a housebreaker into her. What am I saying? A person who breaks into houses to steal stuff, a housebreaker <laughs> into her? That's not... Like, it's Monday. Woo! <laughs> anyway, um, so she gets caught being a thief. She gets arrested. She's sentenced to hang in 1850s London, and she is rescued by uh, Miss Scrimshaw's Academy for Girls. Um, they save her from the gallows and take her in to educate her and ostensibly give her a job doing something respectable, a lady's maid or whatever. Um, turns out that the Academy for Girls is actually a cover for the agency, which is an all-female undercover investigative unit that um, solves crimes of all sorts. And the series goes from, you know, solving uh, mysteries for families to one of the books takes place in Buckingham Palace and deals with something with the Queen and it's just really fun and interesting and they're all very fast paced um, Mary herself is also trying to solve the mystery of her background she knows that she's not white she can you know tell by looking in the mirror that she's uh, mixed race of some kind and so she's trying to discover the truth about her family and where she came from and there's also a touch of a romance one of the men who starts helping her along solving the mysteries they kind of fall for each other a little bit over the course of the four books but since it is you know like YA on the younger side of YA it's very um not graphic at all uh, I think they kiss like a couple of times um, but the reason that I picked this is because if she gets bored really easily, these are really fast paced and in this, you know, mysteries can suck you in really fast and the characters are fun. Like they're just fun. It's a fun read. And so, um, if she's not, if she is not enjoying books that are uh, like really dark and heavy, this might be a good option. So that's the agency series by Y.S. Lee. 
I'm gonna have to read those. This oh, is not the so first great. time you've talked about them, and now I'm like hooked on this description. <laughs> Mary Quinn is the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, my second pick for your mom is Persepolis, Volume One, uh, or rather, it's Persepolis: The Story of a Childhood, which is technically, I guess, number one and two. Anyway, it's a graphic novel, and I thought of this for a couple of reasons. One of which is that graphic novels are traditionally great for people who are struggling to read longer books, um, because again, less words on the page. There's context clues with the images, um, and it's mostly dialogue, which can be a lot easier than trying to read like really heavily descriptive books if English is your second language. So, and Margie Satrapi has an amazing story. She was born in Iran and grew up during the Islamic Revolution, and um, so she is. This is also a memoir, so she's telling the story of her childhood, uh, specifically from ages six to fourteen, um, when she was with her family in Tehran. Um, and her family is like they're educated and. You know, they're kind of like, I guess, upper middle class. It's a little unclear to me exactly, but they have money um, and they throw parties, you know, in rejection of the strict laws that are coming down and... She's been raised to think for herself, but then she's really struggling because now in schools, like, there's all these new rules and she's not allowed to speak her mind and she's trying to figure out, you know, how to survive um, both, you know, intellectually and, like, literally survive um, in this new situation uh, with her society. Um, I mean, and, 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 you know, terrible things have happened to people in her family. Um, and, and, like, she's a kid, so she doesn't 100% understand what exactly is happening or how to deal with it. So there's some moments where you're like, oh my gosh, like that's not, like there's this one scene where they're, I think they're playing at being martyrs and you're just like, oh, like oh. it's <laughs> tough. It's tough, but ah. it's, it makes perfect sense. Like kids don't understand these things and, and this right. is them trying to make sense of their world. So, so you said she likes, you know, tearjerkers and, you know, true stories of survival. And this is the start of a really amazing, um, memoir series. So there's more books in the series that go on to like, you know, she gets sent away to Austria to boarding school and like gets involved in the punk movement and ends up living on the streets. And, you know, her story goes on. Um, but this is the start of it. And if your mom likes it, then there's more for her to read. So and I think a graphic novel might be an interesting choice. And there's a lot of graphic novels that are not like superheroes. Like there's great there's a great, you know, string of graphic memoirs out there. Um, and Persepolis is a great introduction to those. So that is Persepolis, the story of a childhood by Marjane Satrapi and Matthias Ripa is the translator. Okay, I also, for my second selection, picked something um, because your mom likes true stories and survival stories. And so that is I Am Malala um, by obviously Malala Yousafzai. And the reason why I picked this one, other than just the fact that it's a true survival story, is that um, it, there's the, there's an adult version of the book and there's also a YA version of the book where the language is a little bit simpler. So I, I'm i not, you know, she said that you were, she was still struggling a little bit with English as a second language. So if that is the case, you might enjoy or find the YA version a little bit more palatable. Um, if you are unfamiliar, which I don't know anyone who would be at this point, uh, but if you're unfamiliar with Malala, she is from Pakistan. She lived in uh, the Swat Valley. And when the Taliban took over, and girls were no longer allowed to go to school or be educated. Um, she spoke out about that. And then when she was riding the bus home from school one day in 2012, the Taliban uh, boarded her bus and shot her in the head. She was expected to die, but she did not, obviously. And now she has made a recovery and is traveling the world, speaking about, like, to the UN. She's talked to the UN. She's won a Nobel Peace Prize, um, speaking about girls' education um, in the world and especially in places controlled by dictatorial regimes. So that's I Am Malala by Malala Yousafzai. Nice. Okay, which, which, it's which. time for our second sponsor, which is The A to Z of You and Me by James Hanna, uh, which is also uh, the 2015, or it's a winner of the Desmond Elliott Prize, which is, I think, a really interesting prize. There's a bunch out there, and this one is for a debut novel written in English and published in the UK. So it was originally published in uh, Great Britain. And um, uh, other winners of the Desmond Elliott Prize include The Bees by Laylene Paul, which I really liked, The Wake by Paul Kingsnorth. Like, there's all these good books that have won this prize. So it's in very good company. Um, and it's about um, a man named Ivo... 
but I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's IVO. It could be Evo. Who knows? Uh, and <laughs> he is in hospice. Um, he's dying. And he is playing a sort of game with himself as a way to pass the time and try to avoid the pain um, that his nurse suggested. And so for every body part, um, you think of a letter and then memories connected. And so he is living, he's reliving his life, um, thinking about where his life went dramatically wrong. I uh, made a really bad choice um, in his, you know, younger years. Uh, he was young, he was in love, he had friends, and then it all kind of went wrong. Um, so now he is trying to figure out like where he went wrong and if there's any way to fix it. Uh, and so it's, it's, a, it's a story about, you know, how do you put a life back together if it's been shattered, you know, once bad things happen and there are consequences and then life continues, it doesn't just stop and you have to figure out how to live with yourself and how to try to, if you if you can even put it back together, um, and that one of the it's been reviewed in a bunch of places, including Library Journal, and one of the comps they suggested is the story life of the story life of AJ Fickery, which is a book I really love. Um, so this book is for you if you like end of life stories, if you like stories that encompass a whole life, um, if you like if you're open to dealing with emotional topics. There's also a reading group guide for it, so there's a bunch of good material surrounding it uh, for readers. And that is The A to Z of You and Me by James Hanna, which is just coming to the U.S. through Sourcebooks. So you should definitely check that out. All right. That's your five. Is it me? This is also you. Oh, it is me. Okay, cool. Uh, (laughs) Okay, this question is from Lindsay. And the question is, I'm currently finishing My Beloved World by Sonia Sotomayor and loving it. And I have Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, queued up next and possibly Sisters-in-Law after that one. Obviously, these are all specific to the Supreme Court, but now I'm just itching to read more about kick-ass women who have affected our political landscape. Any advice on the best nonfiction about women who have impacted the justice and political systems of our country? We do have some suggestions. (laughs) Oh, you go first. Okay. Um, My first pick for you is Then Comes Marriage, The United States versus Windsor and the Defeat of Doma by Roberta Kaplan, um, who is awesome. So Roberta Kaplan is a lawyer who brought down the Defense of Marriage Act, which is what Doma was, uh, before the Supreme Court, um, the Defense of Marriage Act being a completely homophobic horrific piece of legislation. Um, So she was defending or arguing for um, a woman named Eddie Windsor, who was partnered to another woman named Tia Spire. They've been together for 40 years. Um, Through Tia's illness, she had uh, multiple sclerosis. And when she, she, they did eventually get married. They were allowed to get married. But when Tia died, the federal government wouldn't recognize their marriage because of DOMA. And so Eddie had to pay this, you know, giant estate tax bill because they were not married legally in the eyes of the federal government. So Roberta Kaplan takes their case and took it all the way up to the Supreme Court um, and got Doma kicked in the pants, as it should have been, rightfully kicked in the pants. (laughs) It's a great (laughs) way to sum it up. (laughs) Um, And so the book follows, obviously, that um, legal battle and her journey through, um, like, as a lawyer speaking before the Supreme Court, there's really no bigger challenge for for a litigator um, but it also follow Roberta follows Roberta's own personal story uh, to create a family of her own and to accept herself um, personally so there's like a two-prong thing happening and Roberta Kaplan is awesome and I just really enjoy her a lot so then uh, it's then comes marriage the United States versus Windsor and the defeat of Doma by Roberta Kaplan all right so uh, nonfiction and biographies are actually a thing I'm trying to read more of this year. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you two picks from my to-be-read list uh, because they're books that I'm hoping to read and I think they fit what you are hoping to read as well. So the first one is This Changes Everything, Capitalism versus the Climate by Naomi Klein, who I have heard speak before and is really interesting. Um, and this book was recommended by my former co-worker Emily Pullen, who just like could not stop raving about it when it came out. Um, so in the book, uh, Klein is tackling 
uh, both obviously the climate and capitalism. Um, and her theory is that there's like we're going about this all wrong, but she has this vision where we could harness capitalism to make these big changes that need to happen, um, both for our economic system and for, you know, to like maybe have a planet that we can actually live on. Um, so, so, and it's the reviews of the book have all kind of said like this is one of those books that comes at things from an angle from which you're like, wait, what? Like coming at it from an angle that you didn't expect and that will really give you interesting thoughts and a new way to look at what we're facing, um, both in terms of climate change and the political political system and the free market situation. So covers a lot of ground, and Klein has been um, involved in politics and commenting on them for years and years and years. So that is her book, This Changes Everything, Capitalism Versus the Climate. Okay, my second pick for you is Forgetting to Be Afraid by Wendy Davis. And I don't know if you remember her, but the, in 2013, um, Texas was passing or was trying to pass a state law that was going to close almost all of their abortion clinics. And so Wendy Davis was a state senator at the time, and she filibustered for almost 11 hours um, to run the clock out on this bill. And so she wasn't allowed to sit down or use the bathroom or eat anything or drink anything or even lean her body against any furniture or any of that. Um, And so she successfully filibustered the bill um, and became kind of like an overnight political sensation as a state senator. And so this that's how she got like into the public eye. This book is her memoir about her early life um, up until her career as a state senator. And her her life is just so interesting. It's very like hard scrabble. Her, she was raised by a single mom. Um, she herself started working when she was 14 years old to help support her mom and her her um, siblings. Um, she lived in a trailer park by the time she was 19. She had been divorced, married and divorced already. She was a single mom. She had two jobs, put herself through Harvard um, and then served on the city council in Texas for almost a decade before she was elected to the state Senate. And she was elected to the state Senate in this huge upset because she she um, ousted a GOP incumbent who was really who was predicted to win. Um, she herself is a Democrat. So uh, being a Democrat in Texas and a successful Democrat in Texas is like worth a book in and of itself, I think. Um, but I the thing about her and her memoir that I think fulfills your um, your question about women who have impacted the justice and political systems of the country right now is that this this issue, I think, is um getting so much attention and has in the last like three or four years, really, uh, with several states making it more and more difficult for women to have legal access or to have access to legal abortions like they should. And so her big standoff against this ridiculous bill um, was a big, important moment, I think, in the politics of this country. So that's Forgetting to Be Afraid by Wendy Davis. Nice. She's amazing. Uh, I love her so much. So inspiring. So inspiring. (laughs) Okay, my second pick is Sister Citizen, Shame, Stereotypes, and Black Women in America by Melissa Harris-Perry, who you might have heard of. She has been, or was, I guess, uh, a political commentator on NBC. Um, She had her own show, which then got canceled for weird reasons, and it was like a big deal on the internet. Um, Anyway, she... (laughs) (laughs) A big deal on the internet. Imagine that. Um, So in this book, which was published in 2000, she is looking at the ways that black women in America are both stereotyped and working against those stereotypes. Um, And she's looking at the political issues that affect and are influenced by black women specifically. Uh, So, and this is, um, like I said, published in 2011. So it includes, you know, she's looking at things like Hurricane Katrina, and she's also looking at Michelle Obama, um, and all of the different ways in which black women are both moving forward and being held back. So it's a really interesting look at race and gender. Um, She is, it's like political science, um, but she's looking at, you know, focus groups and surveys and experimental research and literary analysis and all of these different angles to come at this one question of how black women are, you know, sidelined and how they can move forward and what she thinks needs to happen. So that is Sister Citizen by Melissa Harris-Perry. She's so awesome. She is so awesome. I, she's, so I think she's really interesting and cool. All right. Uh, we have just enough time for our last question. So this is from Sue. 
who is from Australia. She says, I'll preface my request by noting that I'm Australian. So, yeah, okay. Uh, thanks to a report by Rebecca Shinsky, I recently devoured Sherman Alexie's Absolutely True Diary of Part-Time Indian, which has made me wonder, I've heard lots about African-American writers, but almost nothing about Native American writers. Could you please point me in the right direction towards some other Native American authors who are contemporary? I'm interested in comparing Native American and Indigenous Australian contemporary writings. That's cool. Right? That's hope, super interesting. I hope you have a blog and like write about it. And Seriously. Send me a link to it. <laughs> formal request okay um i'll go whatever i'm yeah, already yeah, talking go. so okay. okay so my first pick for you is stephen graham jones who just published a new book um or maybe it's not out yet i think it comes out next week it's called mongrels which is the best werewolf novel i've ever read it's so amazing um so he is a blackfoot indian and lives in west texas and um has written tons of like short stories, I think over 15 novels. This might be his 16th. Um, but Mongrel is the only one that I have read so far, and I've loved it so much. Um, so it's like a coming-of-age story about a kid who, I think when the book opens, he's in first grade, um, and he lives with his grandfather and his aunt and his uncle. His mother is dead, and his father he doesn't know anything about. Um, and his grandfather tells him all of these crazy tales about uh, his adventures as a werewolf. And of course, he's just making stuff up to scare his grandson and to mess with him. Um, but then it turns out that he was not making any of it up, actually. And it's all literally true. Uh, his family is a family of werewolves. Um, and through a series of events that I'm not going to spoil for you, they have to go on the run. The grandfather dies and the aunt and the uncle take the boy and have to... Um, run away, far, far away. And so it's a story of him growing up in this family, waiting for the day that he's going to turn himself. So he's got that hanging over his head all the time. Um, but if, but he, he wants to because this is all that he knows and it's his family and he feels like an outsider. Um, and so it's that, him growing up, but it's also this family unit going on this like nonstop continual road trip back and forth across the South. Like they bounce from Texas to Florida to Texas, to Florida, back back and forth um, as they're running from their problems and trying to survive and all of that, um, encountering other werewolves, encountering werewolf hunters, encountering the, the problems and the everyday kind of issues that someone who turns into a dog would have to deal with. Um, and it's the little thing, like the little details in this book, like why werewolves can't ever wear pantyhose, um, that kind of stuff, or like why they're not supposed to ever <laughs> eat french fries. But little things that you think of, like... I guess that would be a problem if you were the kind of thing that turned into a dog in the middle of the night. You probably wouldn't want to do that. And, uh, like, why they always have to pee before they change. Anyway, it's fascinating. Uh, but the coming-of-age stuff is really heartbreaking and, and just right right in the feels. So that's Mongrel. And uh, you can read anything else he's written. I hear really great things. I haven't read any of the other books, but this one was amazing. I know, so that's Stephen Graham Jones. Note to self, read that oh, immediately. Liberty, <laughs> you just read it and loved it also. Uh, so. Okay. okay. <laughs> Adding it to my list. Um, so my first picture for you is Louise Erdrich because love her forever yes. uh, and the book that I thought of in particular I mean all of her books to some extent are about um, I mean they're not like a hundred percent about native they're about people who have lives and many of these people are also of native descent so there's that but um, the book I'm thinking of is Books and Islands in Ojibwe Country which I adore it's one of my favorite books of all time um, because it's just an amazing travelogue she uh, um, she has a new baby and she decides that she's going to make sort of, it's not exactly a pilgrimage, but it is kind of a pilgrimage. Um, she's going to travel to Ojibwe home ground, which is the islands in the Lake of the Woods, which is in Southern Ontario. So, and she's going in this like tiny little boat. Um, and she is talking not only about her heritage and, um, the different sites that she's seeing. Um, you know, there's these rock paintings and she goes to this one island, which is is home to a structure full of books um, and she talks about you know trying like her it's sort of a almost a residency and your deal is is that you help like catalog and sort the books um, and a lot of them have you know are just like have ha, would otherwise be lost to history uh, and she's also talking about the books that she's reading on her journeys and you know about her family and having a baby and all of these different parts of her life and it's just a, it's like a really slim really beautiful book. I love her so much. And then her other books are novels, which are just amazing, and we've talked about them before, and we love her forever. Uh, but <laughs> she's just, she's really, she's doing a really interesting thing in this book, where she's, it's part travelogue, and it's part memoir, and it's also part 
history of the Ojibwe, and so there's a lot going on. Ben, she handles it all really smoothly and, and beautifully. So that is Books and Islands in Ojibwe Country by Louise Erdrich. I saw her at the National Book Festival last year, and she's... <laughs> Hilarious! Like, she tells these jokes with the straightest of faces. I've never <laughs> seen a drier sense of humor on an author before, and it was my favorite. That's I amazing. Uh, I one so day, much. I will get to see her live, hopefully, and I will die. I'll just die. <laughs> and then it will be over. And it will be done. It will be done. Okay. All right. Uh, I will do this quickly, because we're almost out of time. So my second pick for you is Leslie Marmon Silco, who is a member of the Laguna, Pu- Laguna Pueblo tribe. Excuse me. And she's written, like, ten books. But she, I think, is most well-known for a book called Ceremony, which came out in the 70s, and it follows Tayo, who is a Native American prisoner of the Japanese in World War II. And obviously he's, like, suffered all the horrors of that situation, and he's released and returns to his reservation um, and has to deal with what is amounts to PTSD. And he has other... There are other soldiers on his reservation who are returning who um, could deal with their problems with drinking and with beating up their wives and children and all this kind of stuff. Um, And he's trying to find a different way, a different way to deal with the horror of being a a prisoner born a soldier and all that. Um, And he does that by turning back to the traditions of his people. So that's Ceremony. The author is Leslie Marmon Silco, and she's... uh, super well-known kind of, not even, I don't want to say classic because it hasn't been long enough. And like a modern classic, I guess. Yeah, like modern classic uh, writer and um, is just amazing. So Leslie Marmon Silco. Yeah, Ceremony is the book. My second pick for you is a poet. He's an up-and-coming poet. Um, a lot of his stuff is in chapbooks or uh, literary journals, um, but I've seen him read, and he is amazing. His name is Bojan Lewis, and um, you can read one of his poems, If Nothing, The Land, which is just like, whew, it's amazing. It's a really incredible sort of gut punch of a poem. I'm going to leave a link. Um, it was published in Matter, which is a monthly journal of political poetry and commentary, and you can read it online. Um, and his books are available, uh, or his poetry, rather, is available in other places places. Um, Guillotine Press, which is another, it's a nonfiction chapbook political press that I love, um, has one of them. Um, you can check it out. So there, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. Um, and that is the poet Bojan Lewis. All right. That's our show. We did it. (laughs) So if you like our show or if you don't, whatever, please go rate us on iTunes and leave a review. It makes the show easier to find for other people who are searching for it. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL. Jen with two N's, but she is not on Twitter on May, so don't try to talk to her. You just talk to me. But you can talk to me on Tumblr, though. I'm on Tumblr. You can talk to me there. (laughs) Twitter is stressful. And uh, thank you so much to our sponsors, the Square Root of Summer and the A to Z of you and me. And don't forget to go buy your early bird Book Riot Live tickets before the early bird pricing changes. So have a great day. (laughs) 